Hello, and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Today's episode is with Valerie Insina, who is the Air Force and Pentagon reporter for Breaking Defense. Valerie, it is a thrill to have you here today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. So, Valerie, it's... um, this beat that you cover, I have read your work uh, for many years, as, as I mentioned early on in our conversation before we got going here. Um, I've, I've worked in this space a little bit from the contractor side and worked with some of the folks that do work uh, inside the Pentagon. And the one thing that always strikes me about the work that you do is that it's as if you are constantly translating uh, a complicated language for those of us outside of the building. The, the, the work that you do, because the Pentagon has an acronym for everything and there's so much, so many layers and so much involved in what you do, it's really just, um, you do a great job and I appreciate the work you do. But all that to say, how did you get into this line of work? Well, first off, that is such a nice way of kind of synthesizing what I try to do Mm -hmm. because I sort of feel like I am the ultimate outsider when it comes to uh, the defense world. Um, I sort of just stumbled into literally pretty much every part of my job. No kidding. Uh, Whether that was, whether that was, you know, deciding to become a journalist in high school because I thought, hey, you know, I like travel and I like writing and meeting new people and journalism does all of those things. Mm-hmm. And um, the way I got involved in defense reporting was that um, I was working, you know, out of my first job out of college. Um, I was an editorial assistant for a Japanese newspaper called the Tokyo Chunichi Shimbun. It's a collection of two Uh, regional Japanese newspapers that have huge circulation and they send uh, Japanese correspondents to Washington DC to cover um, US policy because you know of course uh, people in Japan want to stay you know informed about what's going on over here Um, so they would also hire you know a, a small cadre of editorial assistants that would kind of do all the grunt work going mm-hmm. to briefings and gaggles and conducting interviews with experts and um initially i thought i wanted to cover the state department because mm. i was really interested in foreign affairs sure. um but i got sent to the pentagon um during this time and had to cover, you know, the daily gaggles. And there was just something about the Pentagon. Um, I just really, number one, I loved the reporters that worked there. It was mm-hmm. like a really uh, collegial group. And then I just thought it was an interesting world. Um, you kind of get this kind of, you know, um, 
there's this this merging of technology, of people, mm-hmm. of policy, of foreign policy, and, and and national security. And it just was really interesting and compelling to me. And so then when I was ready to move on, I sort of thought, hey, what if I what if I covered defense? It seems mm. like there are a lot of people that cover defense and a lot of outlets in the area that cover defense. So maybe let's try that. And mm-hmm. that was pretty much how that no that's kidding pretty much how my entire life took that direction <laughs> well i mean but it really is uh, that's such a good way to put it because it really is an intersection of technology and intelligence and um and and personnel and, and there's so much that is involved in that work that you do um and i really do feel like you're translating another language to those of us that are really late people outside of the building because it is uh it, there is so much to, to understand and to know, and there are so many layers inside the building even. Um, so is there, so now we're sort of living in this time where we're masked up and we're, you know, we're a couple of years into the COVID thing, but how does, are there still daily briefings? Are you still attending those? How does that coverage for you working now? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird time right now with Omicron. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been going to, you know, the daily briefings, you know, there are still almost daily briefings at the Pentagon, but you don't have to physically be there for them. So uh-huh. a lot of times I'll just pop on Zoom and, and do it that way. Um, that's like sort of one of the saddest parts of um, the the pandemic for me is I really love that part of the job that's going to the Pentagon every day and talking to people and, and talking to other reporters, talking to public affairs folks, like, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's sort of been, I haven't been doing that as much. Um, And I'm hoping that once Omicron subsides, then, you know, I can just, that things will go back more to normal and I'll feel a little bit more comfortable of spending pretty much every day inside that stupid building the way that I used to. No doubt. And you mentioned earlier on that another reason why you were interested in this particular line of work was also because there was the possibility for travel and there was the possibility to be out on the road. Have you done a lot of travel in covering the Pentagon and covering defense? Oh my gosh, totally. I mean, that's, that's one of the most amazing parts of this job. Mm. Uh, A couple years back, I want to say maybe 2018, 2019. um, I did a 10 day trip with the person who was then the um, Air Force chief of chief of staff, mm-hmm. and we went to we went to Estonia, we went to Finland, we went to the UK, and then we, you know, we capped off the journey with a detour to Greenland. Oh, cool! Which, it's just incredible. Like, when when am I ever going to have the chance to go to Greenland for any reason? So, I mean. There, there are just so many amazing things that I've been exposed to uh, due to this job um, and so many people that I've, I've met that I probably would have never met or things that I would have never seen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's really one of the high points of the job for me. Do you find the one thing that I'm always curious about, and I think that um, 
there's always a question as to whether or not uh, there is a, a resistance to share information with the media. Breaking defense is known inside of, of the Pentagon and, and really sort of in circles uh, all around um, the, the, issue, the area of defense as just a top, top priority um, news outlet for, for sharing information. Do you find that there's a good give and take between the defense world and the media? You know, I think... So much of that is, you know, it varies by by administration, by uh. leader. It can vary among the services. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very. Um, I I think it's very much leadership driven. Interesting. And I mean, it's also I think driven by the people, the personalities, and the skill sets of those that are in public affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone that is really good at public affairs and the military can make such an impact, you know, when they know how to work with reporters to be a trusted source of information, absolutely to provide context and background, someone that does have, you know, a backlog of knowledge where they don't have to continually run every question up the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff is very valuable and not everyone, not everyone is at that level. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense, though, and 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 being that kind of resource and having that kind of historical context, I think, is really critically important, especially for covering the Defense Department and and all of the, um, you know, the different outlets uh, that are that are peripherally involved or, or you know part of the the overall defense um, department. It's to me. So you also cover the Air Force, which makes me uh, really curious as to whether or not do you get to, um, have you ever had a chance to fly with any of these cool, the, so, the Defense Department has so many tremendous technologies, as we mentioned earlier. Is there any opportunity for you to see some of this up close? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I've actually had, um, I've had a couple um, heartbreaking incidents, honestly, in terms of uh, flights that I was planning on taking, taking mm-hmm. that uh, for various reasons did not pan out. Okay, um, yeah. So the the chief, my chief disappointment, um, I was supposed to fly in Romania on board an F fifteen. Oh, cool. Um, with a with a National Guard unit that was you know tempor- temporarily out, deployed out there, mm-hmm. and. I was so excited. You know, I did my physical. I did all of the egress training. Um, I uh, Oh, my gosh. I never uh, knew you would have to do all that, but I guess you would. I mean, of course. Yeah, that makes perfect yeah, sense. It's, it's a whole process. Like, uh-huh. you, have to, you have to go to the flight doctor, and they, you know, they, they physically measure you to make sure that you can fit in the cockpit and that uh-huh. you meet height and weight requirements. Mm-hmm. They... Um, you have to be fitted for all of the gear, like the, the G-suit, the, the, the helmet... Um, and then like, you know, they give you quite a lot of training very, very quickly, <laughs> too quickly for your mind to comprehend, honestly. <laughs> no time to get nervous. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, they give you, they give you this training about what to do if you have to eject from the aircraft and, oh my. you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, 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 you internalize like the first part of it and you're like, I got this, I can eject. And they're like, okay, well, here's what you do if you're over water. Here's what you do if you get stuck in a tree. Here's what happens if you do this. And you're just like, oh my gosh, well, if I have to eject, like, you know, there before the grace go, grace of God go I. You know? Oh my. <laughs> but um, what happened is the plane 
broke and uh, my dreams, my dreams of flying around Romania, you know, past Dracula's castle and an F-15 were, were dashed. So um, hopefully, hopefully I'll get a chance to do something really cool soon. Yeah. Well, let's hope we're getting back to that too. That would be just tremendous. What would you say if you had to think about like, is there a is there a story that you particularly enjoyed writing about? Is there something that stands out to you in your career as, as one that you're just um, especially proud of, or especially like you look back on and you're uh, really reminded of, you know, why it is you got into this? I mean, so this is going to, this is going to surprise zero people that know me or know my work, but um, I'm really proud of some of the coverage that I've done on the F-35 joint strike fighter. Mm-hmm. I, it's, you know, the biggest acquisition pro- program that the Pentagon has ever had. Um, there, it's a, in some respects, it is a technological marvel. Mm-hmm. And it also has had a very troubled acquisition process with all of the huge cost overruns and yes. schedule delays that you could imagine associated mm-hmm. with that. And um, a couple, a couple years ago, um, when I was at Defense News, myself and a couple other colleagues, we put together a report. We had gotten documents about all of sort of like the critical deficiencies that the aircraft was was currently dealing with. And we wrote a bunch of very in-depth articles about what these problems were and mm-hmm. what the solutions, the proposed solutions to fix the problems were. And I don't think this, that had ever been done before. And the Pentagon has since gone back to not talking about any of these issues at all and making those, making that information controlled so that there's no public access to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I saw your, I, was, I saw your story about Senator Warren sort of pulling, pulling back on that too and saying that that was not the right way to go. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. Anytime, mm. anytime that I feel like I can write about something and Congress cares about it, that's always the biggest, the biggest feather in my cap. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's a huge that's a huge um, that's the knock on the Defense Department. I think of above all other agencies of government is the is the costs and the um, especially with F thirty five that one is especially um, notable as one that has tremendous cost overruns and and just continues to be uh, a gigantic disappointment um, in terms of delivery and all of the other things that are coming with it. But I do think that kudos to you for doing that because I do think that that's a big part of the job. I mean, a big part of the job is shining a bright light on um, uh, how taxpayer money is being spent and how, uh, you know, the, the whether it's working or it's not working. And that's a great, um, and it is a great testament to you that, that the Hill's paying attention because certainly even in the public affairs world, I mean, that is the ultimate goal, right? Is to, to pitch and land a story about an issue that we know is important either to a client or to, uh, to a cause and have a member of Congress care about that's like the ultimate, um, that's an ultimate win for everyone. Yeah. The way that I sort of like feel about it is, you know, it's never, I know it's never fun for companies or for, you know, the government to have, you know, a story put out that doesn't necessarily make them look good. But I think in the area of national security, um, it's, you know, it's taxpayer money. And it's also, we should all want problems to be fixed. We should all want things, you know, programs to be on track and taxpayer money to be carefully stewarded. Um, So I think, 
that the press can play a really important role in making sure that happens. And I don't really feel like I'm on the opposing team, you know, here. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I feel like it's it's kind of good for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to believe, too, that, I mean, you're a good steward of their of, of the news that's coming out from the Pentagon. Anytime anything's happening in the defense world, I mean, you are on it, you're reporting on it, um, and it's the kind of thing that you would want that that just shows the, the the integrity that you hold in journalism is that you're holding everybody to the same standard. Like I'm sh- going to share this information, but I'm also going to make sure that we're also taking a look at how things aren't working and how they could be potentially improved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 what I hope to do is yeah. to give to be as fair and as, and as balanced as possible about both the good and the bad. Valerie, how many people are on your team? At breaking defense, you guys, you're you seem to be everywhere, at least to me, and and you're continually breaking news and sharing stories about what's happening in, um, in this particular beat. How big is the team where you are? Let's see. I think we are at five reporters now, um, five core reporters in the states, two editors, and then we have a whole bunch of reporters that, you know, um, report for us, you know, internationally, Mm -hmm. um. But yeah, a very, a very small staff. We're Lean. growing quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I basically just started at, at Breaking Defense um, a couple months ago in October. Mm-hmm. So, and we've hired people after, after me even. So I think we are a, an organization that's kind of beefing up, which is really exciting yeah. uh, to kind of be a part of. Well, it really feels too in the media space, like, um, publications like yours are are now smartly sort of stay right in that particular space. You cover it really, really well, really, really in depth. And you continue, that's where people go for their information. You can get defense news, um, other news about defense, not defense news as a publication, but you can get your news about defense in lots of places. But if you really want to take a deep dive, uh, you're coming to, to breaking defense to get that information. And that's, to me, just a, a good sign of um, of the way that the media is changing in that people are really becoming experts in their space and getting really, really smart and sharing really smart stories. Yeah, I, I love that the defense uh area like the the it it can kind of support this whole news ecosystem of various publications um and quite a lot of reporters that you know specialize in this area and Mm -hmm. it really it kind of contributes to a culture where there's just a lot of daylight shown Mm -hmm. and i think that's good for i think that's good for everyone um everyone involved in this space and it's also just it also feels so different than sort of what we're seeing in like local news journalism mm-hmm. in a way that i mean it, i think what's happening with local local news is you know somewhat sad seeing papers become smaller or more re- or me, yeah regional yeah consolidating yeah it's a it to me is definitely it's it's an ebb and a flow the good news i think is is right is that that we have these great niche publications like yours um, and hopefully maybe something will change and shift in the, in the regional space too. So we'll see some sort of new evolution and change and, and opportunity. I'm also, I'm, I'm coming back to the point you made just a moment ago about how 
in the work that you do, because it is so specific, because it is so um, specialized, you yourself have to really be a policy expert. I mean, you have a high, high level and understanding of these issues um, because really you're reporting out, you're, tra- you're translating really what's happening inside the government for people like myself who are not necessarily policy experts. How is it that you, is there a particular, um, are there particular journalists or columnists or how do you get smart in the morning when you get up and you get ready to cover the Pentagon and cover what's happening inside the Air Force? Like what kinds of things are you consuming in the morning to get smart for your day? I mean, I honestly, you know, I, <laughs> I read my colleagues at mm-hmm. competing publications. Mm-hmm. I read, um, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, all have great reporters doing work on the national security beat. Sure. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I, you know, I'm not a big columnist person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, as, as far as like news take, like my, my news intake is pretty traditional. Yeah. No, that um, makes sense. The, the, the one, the one weird sort of, uh, news intake that I do have is I love YouTube. Um, huh. like there are a lot of content creators, uh, on YouTube that are basically making just like, you know, hour long, two hour long documentaries about, different subjects and um the quality is definitely not standard um but there are like i watched the other night a great one hour uh video put together by a figure skating enthusiast that kind of charted the rise of uh the dominance of russian female figure skaters over the past decade really the coach that was, you know, sort of responsible for bringing, bringing all of them to that level and sort of the controversies that she's been involved in. And it, you know, it involved actually, like it was, it was pretty impressive. It involved a lot of, uh, this, this woman who, who made the video had obviously read a lot of like Russian sources, like Russian newspapers or had consumed some Russian media. So it was just a really interesting an interesting take that I hadn't really seen other places. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like that, that's sort of like my weird, my weird recommendation for people. I love that though. Yeah. To stop, to, to, to take a look at YouTube because people are creating content. Speaking as the host of a homegrown podcast, I can hardly imagine (laughs) uh, not (laughs) finding information like that in different, funny, funny, different ways. Um, Well, I'll have to check that out because that's, that's really cool. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot of content creation that's happening and it makes sense to me. It would be hard, I think, uh, especially for, for your coverage to cover too many, to really sort of consume too many columnists um, because so much of what you do every day is really reporting the facts, right? I mean, you really have to be, I have to believe that, as you mentioned, there are plenty of public affairs people inside the Pentagon um, that probably are checking your work every day to make, to make sure that you got it right. So I have to believe that you feel every day like you've got a lot of, uh, on top of the fact that you have editors at your own paper, you have lots of folks that are paying close attention to what it is you're covering. Yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely does seem like, like that's the case. Um, but I, you know, it's, I feel very lucky to be in an area like defense and national security where everyone seems to be extremely plugged in and yeah. um, extremely like media, like hungry for media. It's, it's 
that's part of the fun of the job, I think, is yeah. existing in a place where it feels like people do actually care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no question about it. Oh, yeah. But then also b- being able to take a look at, I mean, especially you, because you are looking at, there's obviously, um, depend our episode will air uh, a couple weeks from from the time that we're talking today so I'll try not to date us too much but but w- there is a discussion about the the Russia Ukraine conflict and I have to believe that that because we're here we are we're watching the Olympics it's kind of interesting to get a take and perspective from from someone at YouTube that is reading Russian media and understanding what's going on there and so um, there is a constant quench uh, like a thirst that needs to be quenched for for data and for information, and so good on you for um, for figuring out that there is also great content in other um, unusual places. Yeah, I mean, especially especially when when you, what you're looking for is like a little bit less, a little bit less serious, a little bit off the beaten path. Like sometimes, you know, I feel like after after you know, kind of filling your brain with a bunch of political news or, you know, defense news, whatever else, Mm -hmm. foreign policy news, you know, all I want to do is watch like a 30 minute video about um, how the movie Jennifer's body was marketed and why it was such a failure, just like something so stupid, (laughs) something completely opposite of what you've just spent your day writing about, right, for sure. Like, yeah, and it could just be like illuminating in a small way, in a way that, and in a way that doesn't tax my brain or, <laughs> you know, just gives me a little bit of a break. Yeah. Oh, no question. I think we all need it. I, there's there's a reason why all of those streaming services have become just so uh, so busy over the course of the last few years. I think everybody is craving that kind of content. Tell me, Valerie, um, as we get a little bit closer to the end of our conversation today, is there, um, if someone's trying to get smarter about uh, the defense world, is there, is there a book? Is there, is there something that you've read uh, in the course, over the course of your time that you felt like was really um, uh, informational to you that would be good for the readers to, to take a look at? I, so I am, I am like a pretty voracious news reader, mm-hmm. but as far as books, I am not like, I do not read books on the military as much as you might think. Really? Okay. Like, yeah. Reading. I don't know. I feel like when I want to read a book, I want to be transported someplace else. So I am, you know, I read like a lot of fantasy and science fiction. Okay. That's like sort of, uh, do you have a recommend, sort of, do you have a like, recommendation for me? Ooh, um, let's see. I really, I really, anybody who follows like fantasy or science fiction media, uh, probably is already aware of her, but the author N.K. Jemisin, uh, she is fantastic. She, a couple years ago came out with this trilogy called the Broken Earth Trilogy. And, um, it's, I don't know to say anything about it. I feel like would sort of spoil. Okay. Would spoil it. I just, good. I would just, it's a good one. Just, yeah. It's a good one. Okay. I, you know, I think that like sometimes everyone needs a break. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. So just dive in and have fun. And I love that. I totally love that. And I ask that I, I do a lot of reading myself and I don't read anything to do with communication. It's always other, other kinds of things. So I totally get it. Anything that can be a break from what you have to do, you know, during your day to, makes a ton of sense. 
Um, Valerie, so we've come to the end of our conversation, and you know our final question is always, who is it that you would recommend for a future episode? Yes. So um, I thought about this for some time. I would really love to hear you um, interview my friend Lee John Greco. She is a freelance reporter out of Chicago now, um, but she kind of started um, in, the, in a similar place as, as me, where she was reporting um, on the defense industrial base. And then she kind of decided this isn't what I want to do at all um, and moved out of DC, DC and joined the freelance world and has been, you know, she's written for the Washington Post. She's written for Politico magazine. Um, and I think she really excels at doing local coverage or stories about small things and making them seem very big, I love like that. kind of expanding that, that world and, and making it feel real. Um, so yeah, I would, I would love to, to hear you interview her because she, her career has just been so varied. I love that. I love that. And I think that that's the one thing that we've uncovered as we've been doing the podcast now for about a year. It's going to be a year when this episode airs. And it's the kind of thing that um, everybody's fallen into journalism in a different way. Some people come to it because they immediately fall in love with it in high school. And that's the course that they take. Some folks sort of fell, you know, fell over backwards into it just by by pure luck. Um, And it's all just so different. And everyone like you said, you were lucky enough that you found something right away and you knew you wanted to stick with this beat, but plenty of other people um, sort of take a course and sort of follow it in a lot of different ways. So I can't wait to reach out to her and I will tell her that you nominated her for a future episode. And Valerie, I I know you're going to have a busy couple of weeks coming up here and I wish you all the best during all those busy times, um, but I am so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much, Lisa. This was an absolute delight. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.